Let us stand for the reading of God's word, Jonah chapter 4. Good morning and thank you for joining us on this Lord's Day. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city. And sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what hap- what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day. God appointed a worm that attacked that plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, you pity the plant. For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than one hundred and twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Lord and God. Three in one, one in three, eternal and glorious. We come before you now and ask that you would graciously bless our ears to hear your word. Graciously bless our minds to understand your word. Graciously bless our hearts, Lord, to believe. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. Become more, Lord, we pray. Let your people see a greater and grander view of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When you come to the end of the third chapter of the book of Jonah, and when you read of the great revival that God has graciously given to the wicked city and people of Nineveh, How God caused them to turn from their evil ways. How God relented from the disaster that he threatened to bring to the people of Nineveh because of their sin. You may be tempted to ask, why is there a need for the fourth chapter? Why this fourth chapter? What is the purpose of a fourth chapter if it seems that the end of the third chapter is... An appropriate ending, if you will. Jonah has been saved, it would appear. 
and he has turned from his disobedience. <clears throat> Nineveh has been saved, and they also have turned from their wickedness. This may seem like the perfect happy ending to the book of Jonah, with a and they lived happily ever after. But that is not the way the book of Jonah ends. And, and that is actually one of the marks that this book is inspired by God. That the third chapter is not the end of the book. If this were a story about Jonah, and if this book were meant to exalt Jonah as the great hero of the book of Jonah, then the third chapter would be an appropriate ending to the book of Jonah. But brothers and sisters, this is no fairy tale. These are actual events that actually happened. And Jonah is not the hero of this book. This is no fairy tale and Jonah is no hero. Just as we learned in the book of Esther, that neither Esther nor Mordecai were the heroes of the book of Esther. So also Jonah is not the hero in the book of Jonah. The main human character in the book of Jonah is Jonah. But the main character in the book of Jonah is God. The main character in the book of Jonah is God. In every book and on every page, it is the Lord God Almighty who stands triumphantly as the great hero of every page, the great hero of every book. God is the main character of this book and of every book in the Bible. Amen. Jonah ends this book much like the way he began. Angry with God and obstinate in his heart. Jonah appears to be genuinely repentant, but just like us, Jonah has still much to learn. We must be careful, though, not to assume that because Jonah seems to have this kind of temper tantrum in the fourth chapter, that he was not actually or sincerely saved. Just because Jonah has remaining sin does not mean that Jonah was not saved in the second chapter. So we may wonder how in the world is Jonah saved if he throws this kind of temper tantrum in the fourth chapter? Let me say to you this, <clears throat> that Jonah's spiritual condition, and, and you may be wondering at the end of this book, was Jonah really saved? If that's the question that you walk away from this book with, then you're missing the point of the book of Jonah. Does that make sense? If you walk away and you see Jonah's tantrum and you say, was Jonah really saved? Then you're missing the point. Because Jonah's spiritual condition is not the point of this book. Whether or not Jonah was saved is not the point of this book. And if we do that, then we, we make the same mistake that we made before we got into the book of Jonah. And that is focusing on the great whale rather than focusing on our great God. Jonah's life is not the point of this book. God is the point of this book. The lesson that we learn in the book of Jonah is not what has become of Jonah's eternal soul, but rather the lesson that we learn in the book of Jonah is what our God graciously does for undeserving souls in bringing them salvation. Jonah serves as an example to us. Now, those of you who are of any age, which is all of you, listen to this. It will be a lesson that you should keep with you for the rest of your life. And that is, Jonah serves an example for us in what we are not to do. You can learn from people on what to do. 
But you also should take heed of people on what not to do. Jonah serves as an example to us as scripture proclaims and teaches us, don't be like Jonah. Don't be like Jonah. The attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ that we see in Philippians 2 is far removed from the attitude that we see in Jonah. Jonah is the opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are on opposite spectrums. The Lord Jesus Christ is the greater Jonah. One greater than Jonah has arrived. In the book of Jonah, we see a God who is compassionate towards sinners. And one who is willing to save even the most vile of sinners. And I believe that that is the great contrast in this book. And especially in this chapter. The great contrast of Jonah explains for us, or shows for us the example that we are not to follow. One who is merciless. And God displays for us his kind mercy and abundant compassion towards sinners who are undeserving of his grace. So with that said, let's look at those two contrasts or those two points this morning. Number one, a merciless prophet. Number one, a merciless prophet. When you study the Bible, what are you looking for? When you study the Bible, what are you looking for? When you read through the different chapters and when you read through the different books, are you searching for heroes? Let me say to you that if you're searching for heroes, you will often be disappointed. Matter of fact, you will always be disappointed, especially when you come to the Bible, because there is only one who stands as the great hero. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are searching through the scriptures... What you find most often is men, men who are at war with their sin. When you read the scriptures, you find men who are fighting the battle of sin in their lives and often losing that battle of remaining sin. And we see this very fact in the prophet Jonah as the events of the fourth chapter unfold for us. It's hard for us to imagine that Jonah is actually fighting sin. Do you see that in chapter 4? When you read it, it, it doesn't seem like Jonah is fighting sin. It seems like Jonah has given himself over to sin. That Jonah has completely gone over the deep end. He seems to have been taken captive by sin. Verse 2, he says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious, you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Why is he mad? Well, what's Jonah miffed about? What's his problem? Wicked Nineveh has been saved. And Jonah is upset. That's his problem. People have been saved. Now think about this. The prophet of God has a problem. People have been saved. Or... The prophet of God has a problem. God saved people. That's his problem. (laughs) Can you imagine that? And he's concluded that he's been right all along. Now, what did he believe that he was right about? He believed that he was right about the fact that when God had called him, God was intending to save people. I knew you were intending to save people. That's his problem. And that's what he believed he was right about all along. And he believed that he was right to run. Now, get into the mind of this prophet. 
he's speaking to God. Let's slow down for that. Jonah's speaking to God. And Jonah says to God, I knew I was right all along. You were intending to save. I was right to run. Are you with me? He believes that he's right. And if he's right, then who's wrong? God's wrong. God, I knew I was right all along and you were wrong. What was Jonah wrong about in this? He's wrong about two things. First of all, Jonah is wrong about himself. Jonah doesn't realize who he is. He's lost sight of himself. That he is sinfully wicked at birth. He's lost sight of the fact that his heart is deceitfully wicked. That his mind is untrustworthy. He doesn't understand the wickedness that dwells within him. And he also is wrong about God. You cannot have a good understanding about God unless you have a good understanding about yourself. Or you cannot have a good understanding about yourself unless you have a good understanding about God. Who you are and who he is. And let me just simplify that for you. You're sinful. He's holy. That's the starting point. Or he's holy. You're sinful. As our brother R.C. Sproul says when introducing the gospel, God is holy and you are not. What are you going to do about it? You would think he would have, being a prophet of God, that he would have at least a, a good understanding or a substantial understanding about God and who God is. But we've seen from the very beginning that Jonah's understanding of God, his theology proper, is not what it should be. What is he doing in the very first chapter? God gives him a call and he decides to, to somehow run from the presence of God. Not very good theology, right? Run from the presence of God? Where is that? Where are you going to find that, that, that place? His theology is not very clear. And it's interesting that Jonah was wrong about God even when he was right and correct about what he was saying about God. He's wrong about God even when he's saying right things about God. Does that make sense? He's saying, I knew that you were a compassionate God, abounding in steadfast love, were slow to anger. You're right about all those things, Jonah. But you're wrong about who you thought that was for. And about who God has designated his love for. Jonah was first hostile to God or was first hostile toward Nineveh. And now he's turned his hostility toward God. He didn't want to go and, and be gracious, be used by God to minister to the people of Nineveh. And now he doesn't want to have anything to do with God. The prophet was sent to Nineveh to preach judgment, the judgment of God, which God was using as a means of grace to bring thousands, thousands of people to himself. Can you imagine being used by God as the instrument to go preach the gospel and thousands? God is numbered. A hundred and twenty. God has used Jonah to reach a hundred and twenty thousand people and bring them to salvation. It's the kind of, of, of revival that any man of God, any person who is being sent by God would love to see. And Jonah is not rejoicing. He's soaking. Jonah is not full of joy. He's full of anger. 
Rather than rejoicing in this great revival, he's pouting like, like a spoiled child. People turning to God has made this prophet upset. And he's not just a little angry. The Bible says in verse 1, this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. He was exceedingly angry. Remember that word exceedingly. We're going to see it again. He was exceedingly angry. You ever been exceedingly angry? That's an Old Testament way of, of saying Jonah was ticked off. Jonah was hot. God turned away his wrath from the people of Nineveh. And now Jonah saw that as his cue to turn his wrath to, toward God. God, you may not be angry with them anymore, but I'm angry with you. I'm exceedingly angry with you. What's his problem? Jonah has lost the wonder of salvation. The wonder of salvation. The joy of seeing someone turn from darkness to light and God being the one who brings them there. What about you? Are you still in awe and in wonder when someone comes from darkness to light? Are you moved at all to see someone, someone who has eyes uh, filled with tears as they begin to recognize their sin and turn to God? Are you hungry to see that? Do you long to see that? He'd lost his first love, if you will. The wonder of grace, the wonder of, of undeserving mercy that is in Christ. He prays in verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are, a, you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah's quoting God. Jonah makes an accusation against God by quoting God. He, he's quoting Exodus chapter 34. Verse 6 and 7, Moses asked the Lord to, may I want to see your face. And God said, I will, I will allow my goodness to pass by you. And here's the answer what, that God gives when he passes by. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger God, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love or keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. Do you see what, Mo, what, what Jonah did? He only quoted the first part of what God said about himself. He didn't quote the second part. Who forgives iniquity and transgression of sin. He said, I know that you're an abounding love or you're a love, a God of love, abounding in love, steadfast love. But he leaves off and you also forgive sin. I don't want to acknowledge that part about you. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Jonah begins to tell God and us, what he was thinking when he was still in his country, in the northern kingdom. Here's what I was thinking. God is sending me so that he can save people. That's why I made haste. That's why I flew to Tarshish or, or, or escaped to Tarshish. I knew that you would forgive these people. And in a sense, Jonah doesn't want God to be true to himself. In a sense, Jonah doesn't want God to be true to himself. This is why, this is where he's wrong about God. He's saying right things, but he wishes that it wasn't so. He's saying right things about God, but he wishes that it wasn't so. How do you explain a prophet? 
a prophet of God who does not want God to be true to himself. Jonah had wrongly presumed that the attributes, the wonderful attributes of God, God's love, God's kindness, God's mercy, God's justice, that all of those wonderful attributes and many more were only reserved for the people of Israel. God, Jonah had, in, in, in effect, placed a boundary around God. This is as far as your love can go and no further. Your love is reserved for a specific people and no others. Especially of people that were hostile toward the nation of Israel. God be merciful, yes, but not to them. God be gracious, yes, but not to them. Jonah would rather see the people of Nineveh burned than turn to God. What a shame. He became narrow-minded in his heart with respect to the grace of God. It was almost as if Jonah... It was almost as if Jonah believed that, that he belonged in the position of God and not God. It was almost as if Jonah believed that he should be the one sitting on the throne and not God. How do your prayers sound when you speak to God? Are your prayers more like advice to God? Counsel to God? Or do we desire his will? Do we desire in our hearts to take over the reins of God's sovereignty? Or do we believe and trust that they are in good hands? We may say automatically, of course not. I don't want to be God. Never. May it never be, right? And if that's the case, then we must ask ourselves why we so often respond with bitterness and despair when things don't go our way. Is God not in control? Is God not sovereign? Is not all providence in the hands of our God? Then why do we despair? When things don't happen our way or the way that we think that we should, they should happen, why do we despair? If we don't think that we want to be God, then why do we so often despair? I think if we are honest, we are showing shades of Jonah in our lives. When things take place that don't meet our expectations. We saw something similar to this in the Apostle Peter, who rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ when he spoke of his journey to to death by way of the cross. Peter had a plan, and Jesus was not following along with that plan. Peter rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine? This shall never be. This shall never take place. And what is Jesus' response? Should he say that to you any time? When you say, God, why are you doing this? I cannot believe. What if God were to say to you, as it sounds like he's saying to Jonah, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. Jesus rebuked Peter and Jonah rebukes God. Jonah indicated a a deep despair. Jonah would do things differently if he was in God's position. And this was the same prophet. Who received abundant grace. The same one who was delivered from the place of the dead. And now God is extending grace to others. And Jonah cannot handle it. Jonah is on the verge of complete abandonment of life. Verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. 
for it is better for me to die than to live. It's better for me to die than to live. You've restored my life. And now I would like it to be taken away from me. If these people live, I want to die. Do you see this? Do you see the irrationality here? If these people are going to live, then take my life. Because my life is not worthy of living. If these people are going to be enjoying the grace of God. The prophet is completely irrational. Pastor John, can you do me a favor? Can you see what's going on here? Pastor John, can you see what, um, as I go louder? Thank you, brother. It was almost as if Jonah does not even know what's coming out of his mouth. Listen close. Jonah is saying, if these people are going to live, then I want to die. Do you hear that? Here's another question I would ask you, you to think about. Does Jonah hear that? Is Jonah even hearing what's coming out of his mouth? What's his problem at first? He's exceedingly angry. What comes out of your mouth when you're exceedingly angry? Do you know what comes out of your mouth when you're mad? Do you say things that afterwards you say, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't have said that. I was just so upset. What comes out of your mouth when you are so upset? Sin can turn your thinking upside down. Sin can cause you to lose sight of reality, particularly the reality of salvation. Look at Jonah. Jonah, do you hear what's coming? It almost makes you want to step back and say to Jonah, Jonah, really, dude, do you hear what's coming out of your mouth right now? Really, you want to die? That's how serious it is. Have you been around those who are angry and they say things? You just you, you almost want to record them and say, wait, hold on a second. Play. You hear what you what you just said? Are you crazy? Do you know what's coming out of your mouth? Jonah is full of himself. If you look at verses one through three, Jonah has used the words I, me or my eight or nine times, depending on what version you're using. I, me or my eight or nine times. Salvation of God was all of a sudden all about Jonah. Me, 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 my, my, my. He's not getting what he wanted. So take my life from me because things are not going the way I want. It's all about me. Can I say to you, it's not about you. It's never been all about you. You're a part of this great plan, but it's all about God. It's all about God. Jonah is saying, if you're going to do this, essentially do this over my dead body. Amazing. How easily Jonah could see the sin of Nineveh, but not see his own sin. Amazing how there are some people who could who could see the specks in people's eyes, but can't see the logs in their own. Jonah's speaking like a madman. Madness is coming out of his mouth. Now, let's contrast that with God. A merciless prophet. Number two, a merciful God. We might think that if the Lord were not long suffering, meaning if God were not patient, he might as well wipe this obstinate man off the face of the earth. If God were not a loving God, then Jonah should be wiped away to dust. The Lord should just consume him for speaking to God this way. You've had enough chances, Jonah, and you've remained it hard hearted. But that's not the way that God deals with this prophet. And, and listen to the question that God asked Jonah in verse number four. 
the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you have a good reason to be mad? Do you have a good reason? The Lord asked Jonah a question that he already knows the answer to. And, and, and the Lord is drawing Jonah out. He's bringing Jonah to himself. And he's doing it much like he did with Adam in the garden. God already knew that Adam had sinned. But what does God ask him? Who told you you were naked? Have you not eaten or have you eaten from the tree that I asked you or commanded you not to eat of? God knew the answer to all those things, but God is drawing Adam out just as he is drawing Jonah out. Is your anger justified? Brothers and sisters, anger is dangerous. Anger is foolish. Anger is cruel. Wise men turn away anger and turn away from their own anger. Only a fool gives full vent to his anger, the Bible says. If you give anger an inch, anger will take the full mile and more. And there is a parallel here. The parallel is Matthew chapter 18. When a a man received mercy, though he owed a great debt, but as soon as he is released from his debt, he goes out and finds another man who owed him a, a small amount. And rather than have mercy on that man who owed him a small amount, he seeks to imprison that man until he can pay back the small amount. And Jonah is, is something like that man. Do you have any reason to be angry? Matthew eighteen thirty two says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? This was the same principle the Lord was using to draw out Jonah. What right do you have to be angry? You were given life when you did not deserve it. And should you not rejoice at those who have also received life? Although they did not reserve it, deserve it. What's the prophet's response to God's question? Do you see there in verse five? Is there a response? There's a walking away. The Lord puts Jonah on the spot. He asks him a question. Do you have any right to be angry? And here's Jonah's response. And he walks away. And where does he go? He goes to the top, if you will, of, of, a, of a hill to watch the city of Nineveh. He says nothing. He can't say anything. He can't respond to God. What's he going to say? He has nothing to say. We, we experience that sometimes in our marriages or in our relationships, right? Where you know you're wrong. But you want to hold on to the fact that you're right, even though you're wrong. And the response is, do you have anything to say in your wrongness? And I'm, ah. Oh. Can you just let me be wrong? No. And, and what's the response that we usually do? We just walk away. I don't even want to deal with you right now. You don't want to deal with you right now. Not you. It's you. Because you're wrong. I was watching a video the other day on YouTube. Uh, these Christians who were standing in front of uh, abortion clinics. And each of the arguments that the persons who were coming, who are supporting abortion... They, they could not refute the Christian's argument and the Christian's position. Even using words like fetus, the, the minister said, why are you saying fetus? Do you know what fetus even means? 
Yes, I know what fetus means. What does it mean? Fetus means little baby. You're using Latin words. It's not a little baby. Well, stop saying fetus then. And just on and on and on. And they finally said, oh, you guys are just wrong. And they walk away. They have no answer. There is no answer. Abortion is wrong. And Jonah is wrong. He has nothing to say. So Jonah finds himself saying, I don't have anything to say, so I'm going to leave. And here's where I'm going to go. Verse 5. Went out of the city. Sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. Made a small tent for himself. Sat under the shade till he could see, till he should see or could see what would become of the city of, of Nineveh. Jonah walks. And once again, as Jonah walks, he has a time to consider his ways. Right? And if you can imagine Jonah. Now get this picture in your mind. Jonah has just preached God's judgment. It's coming. People's response to it is they are turning from their sin. They are sackcloth and ashes. They are in complete repentance, right? Jonah is seeing all this happen, and he's not happy about it. And he started to walk out of this city to a place where he can overlook the city. Now, as he's walking out of the city, what is he seeing? He's seeing repentance all around him. Imagine 120,000 people repenting to your right, to your left, in front and behind you. All you're hearing as you walk out of the city is repentance. Praise to God. Can you imagine walking past people? They're falling on their knees and Jonah's looking at them, falling on their knees, repenting to God, continuing to walk. And you see people that are sackcloth and ashes crying out to God. Jonah's seeing all of this happen as he's walking out of the city. And he finally makes a place. And you can imagine on his face, there's not joy. There's a scowl as he looks at every single person repenting of their sin. And he goes to a place that overlooks the city and and, and prepares for himself a tent. Maybe not a sufficient tent. Maybe a tent that doesn't completely cover himself, but something that slightly covers himself as he flops himself down. Now, you've got to imagine this place is also in the east, so it's very hot. It's dusty. Nineveh was almost like a an oasis city in the midst of a desert. He goes to an area where he sits down, watches the city. And what is he watching for? He's watching to see if the revival that he thought he saw was actually a false revival and that they would eventually turn from their sin or turn to return back to their sin. He's hoping that what he saw is not what he saw. He's hoping that salvation that he thinks he saw is not what he saw. And he sits there. He's hoping that they turn back to their sin. And he sits almost as a protester. And not protesting for peace, but protesting for destruction. Can you imagine this prophet of God hoping that this city turns back to their sin? Or waiting long enough to see, okay, God, day 39 Day 40 is on its way. Maybe God will still destroy them. And it's a sad reality that there are those who are jealous for God's mercy, but only if it's given to certain people. Think about this. Should God be merciful to ISIS, that terrorist group? Should God be merciful to the president of North Korea? Should God be merciful to leaders of radical Islam or for those who have aborted babies or those who are turning from alternative lifestyles, who are in alternative lifestyles? Should God be merciful to them? And what would your response be 
if that so happened. We pray that your heart would be the opposite of Jonah. Don't be like Jonah. Rejoice. Be glad that God has given grace to those who are just like you, undeserving. Jonah showed that he's a slow learner, though. Remember that God had enrolled him in school, the school of the the belly of the great fish. Jonah's a slow learner. He's at the bottom of his class. So God decides to re-enroll him back in class to teach him once again a lesson that he has not yet learned. Verse 6. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Jonah's booth or his tent was apparently not sufficient enough. He's still in discomfort and the sun is beating hot. God graciously delivered Jonah from the heat of the sun. How? By appointing a plant. God appointed a great fish. Now God appoints a great plant to rise up over Jonah. It's it's a type of jack in the beanstalk uh, plant, if you will, that rises up overnight and covers Jonah, delivers him from the sun. Another display of the compassion and mercy of God. And how does Jonah respond when the Lord delivers Jonah from this scorching heat? Verse six, Jonah was exceedingly. You see that word again? Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Where did we see word the word exceedingly before? Exceedingly angry. And now Jonah is exceedingly glad because of the great plant. He's gone from one extreme to the other. And he is happy about the grace of God in this shade. Jonah's thrilled with the salvation of the plant. Right? School is in session. Verse 7. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed, there's the word again, a worm. And attacked the plant so that it withered. What is God doing? What is God? Doesn't God know that Jonah is on the verge of losing his ever loving mind? Right? Jonah is the poster boy for don't push me because I'm close to the edge. Right? I'm trying not to lose my. Jonah's the poster boy for that. He could be on the cover of that album, Grandmaster Flash. If those of you who are under 15, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's all right. He's the poster boy for that. Don't push me, God. I'm about to lose my mind, right? And doesn't God see that Jonah is, is on this emotional roller coaster, that he's moving from emotional extremes of let me die to exceeding gladness? Doesn't God see that? That he's on this roller coaster of emotions? And now the Lord gives him comfort one night in this great plant and then appoints a worm. Can you imagine what kind of worm that was? I mean, if it's a jack-in-the-beanstalk kind of plant that has covered Jonah, what kind of worm was that? I'm thinking of a movie right now, Tremors. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> if those of you never seen the Tremors, then I'm an 80s kid. Anyways. Why doesn't God give this man some space? Huh? Doesn't he know... This man is crazy right now. Just give him some space. How many of you love space when you're angry? Just let me breathe. Let me be alone with my thoughts. I'll figure it out and then we'll be okay. God almost as, you know, when they want to shut the door, God sticks his foot in the door. and says, no, no, no. We're going to do this right now. That's how I am in our family. We're going to handle this right now. And God is essentially saying, we're going to do this right now. There is no space. 
God knows exactly what he's doing, and that's why he sends the worm. Because he disciplines those that he loves. If God didn't love Jonah, he would leave him alone. But God does love Jonah, so he can't leave him alone. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching, scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah, on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked again that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. He wants to die. He's exceedingly happy. Now he wants to die again. God appointed the fish, the plant, the worm. And now God appoints a scorching east wind. What is God doing to Jonah? Here's what he's doing. God is giving Jonah a taste of his own medicine. God is giving Jonah a taste of his own medicine. What did we say in the first point? Jonah believed that he was right and that God was wrong. Jonah essentially believed I should be sitting on the throne and God should be watching how it's done, if you will. So God is saying, you want to be God. You think you could do better. This is what life is like if you're God. This is what life is like if the world was run on your philosophy on how things should be. This is what a world where Jonah is God is like. This is a world that operates under your way of thinking, Jonah. How do you like it? What do you think about your world that, that you've, you would fashion for yourself? Because this is the way it would be. This is the kind of mercy that you would establish or that you would, dis- that you would distribute. This is the kind of grace that you would distribute. This is the kind of wrath, Jonah, that you would distribute. Jonah was made, the weight, made to feel the weight of his own thinking, his own bad thinking. And God is asking Jonah this. What if I dealt with you the way you think I should deal with Nineveh? What if I did to you what you think I should do to Nineveh? What do you think? Well, Jonah, this is the result. This is what it would be like. And what's Jonah's Jonah's response to this? Kill me. Take me out. Suicide, death. All of this seems much more welcome than this. Because his heart is out of step with God. Brothers and sisters, when your heart is out of step with God, it is better to die you want to die than rather than live in conditions that are out of step with god jonah recognizes this in his life and it was unbearable to him verse nine but god said to jonah this is god's response to jonah after jonah says i want to die god says do you do well to be angry listen for what for the plant right Do you do well to be angry for the what? For the plant. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Yes, I have every right to be upset about this plant. So upset that I could die. (laughs) I don't understand that. You ever been upset enough to die? That doesn't make any sense to me. But people say it. And God's response is, Jonah. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. Haven't you yet learned? Are you going to remain so mule-headed, Jonah? Yes, I have every right to be angry about the plant. I just received the plant, and now it's gone. 
It was here. It was giving me shade and comfort. And now it's gone. I have every right to be angry. So angry I could die. Stop for a second and think about this. As far as we know, these are the last words that Jonah ever spoke. Yeah, you're looking through your Bibles right now. There are no more responses of Jonah. As far as we know, these are the last things that Jonah ever said. Now, we're hoping not. But it would be a terrible way for Jonah to go out if these were his last words. I'm angry enough to die. The Lord had given him chance after chance. You have reason to be angry. He should have said no. I don't have reason to be angry. I didn't plant the, cult, the, the I didn't plant the plant or cultivate the plant. You did. No, I don't deserve the plant. But instead, yes, I have good reason. He remains stubborn. He remains unchanged, if you will. Verse 10, and we'll close with this. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Now, here's the contrast that God is trying to point out. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? Jonah, if you believe that you have case to be angry here, then how much more do I have case to be merciful to the people of Nineveh? You wanted mercy for the plant. Should I not have mercy for these people? You care about a plant that you didn't even plant. But the Ninevites were created by God. They were a people that he planted, that he cultivated. They are his people. The plant grew up overnight. The people of Nineveh had lived for years. For God to have compassion on his creation is not unnatural. It is his right and it is his prerogative to have mercy on his creation. Jonah was indifferent, but God was compassionate. Jonah cared more about a plant. Should God not care more about souls? Yes. They did not know their right hand from their left. That doesn't mean that they were innocent. But it does mean that they struggled to discern right from wrong. They were sold to sin. And so blinded by their sinfulness that God had mercy on them and compassion to them and softened their hearts so that they could do, that they could obey, that they could see God. Jonah, if you don't care about these people, since you're so in love with plants, there's a bunch of cattle over there. Since you care about creation, what about the cattle? Would you need to at least have mercy on cattle? That's what God is saying to Jonah. And it's a wonderful picture of the mercy and grace of God. Jonah was committed to the plant. God was committed to people. God is committed to people. Jonah, can you make a a good argument against the compassion of God? These were people whose sin rivaled the people of, of Sodom. And yet God sought to be merciful to them. Because he will have mercy on who he has mercy. He will have compassion on whom he has compassion. If he wills to have mercy on the most vile sinner, is he wrong? No. 
And how much different from they from them are you? The answer from God is or the question from God is this. Jonah ends with a, an emphatic statement. I should die. I have right to be angry. God ends with a question. Should I not have compassion? Should I not have compassion? If you did not have compassion, where would we be? Right. The book ends with a question. Should I not have pity on sinners? What do you say, Jonah? Should I not have mercy on sinners? End of the book. Jonah doesn't answer. Jonah doesn't want to answer. And for all we know, again, this is the last of Jonah's words ever. Prayerfully not. Prayerfully, Jonah passed these words on to someone else who wrote them down, whoever wrote this book. But the book ends with a question. Let me ask you this. Was that question ever answered? The book ends with the question, should I not have pity on souls? Is the question ever answered? God does answer the question. And he answers the question at the cross. God answers the question at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer is, my brothers and sisters, is yes, look to the cross. The answer is yes, he did have compassion upon numbers so great as the sands on the seashore, numbers so great as the stars in the sky. Yes, God in Christ has shown compassion on his elect that he loved before the foundation of the world with an everlasting love. He has answered that question. Jonah's prophecy ends with a question that finds its ultimate answer. In the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, God answers this question to the world. Look to my son. Look to my son. He sends his son to live a life that we could not live in perfect obedience to the law. Becoming sin for us that we might be saved from our sin. If we repent of our sin, trust in Christ alone. We become walking answers to this question of Jonah. Yes, he has had mercy on sinners. Yes, he has. To God be the glory. And so ends the book of Jonah. And so ends the book of Jonah. Let us stand.